If you would take your Bible and turn to back to the book of Proverbs and chapter 3. I started this two-point message two weeks ago and never finished it. So Proverbs chapter 3. And verses 1 through 12. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law. Let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. And, of course, the title was to How to Stay Right with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, your mercies. Thank you for your word and the invaluable book that it is to us, the living word, the word of the living God, the living word of God. We pray that you would help us as we look to be encouraged and challenged to Spend the time that we need daily in it, that we might have life, and life more abundantly. And we thank you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think about this passage, verse, first three verses talk about not forgetting the law, keeping his commandments. Uh, that's the first verse. And the second verse Second verse talks about length of days, long life, peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. It talks about binding them about thy neck. You know, one of the things that happens when you get older is you tend to forget. And, you know, Mr. Washburn was saying this week about forgetting everything. I said, I'm going to tie something around your neck and put everything on it that you need to remember, and then you won't forget. You know, the, the Pharisees pride themselves in memorizing great portions of the Old Testament law, and they would make phylacteries they were called they were like uh, uh, pockets in their garments where they kept written portions of that and uh, you know they and of course it was kind of a badge of honor that they wore you know having these things evident on their person but but the reality is you know it's not about having them on our person but in our heart um we're not to let mercy and truth, the truth is the word of God, you know, and he gives a word picture of binding them about thy neck. If you have something tied around your neck, you're not going to forget about it. Because, uh, you know, every time you move, that thing kind of moves with you and, and so on and so forth. And then he says, write them upon the table of thine heart. And then it talks about favor, having good understanding, trusting in the Lord, uh, acknowledging his ways, not being wise in your own eyes. You really, the reality is all these things are fruits of hiding God's word in your heart. That's where we learn about it. And so the word of God is a, it, it, you know, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. They're life-giving. 
They have power to change and transform your life and revolutionize your, your life. And so, you know, this, the Word of God is an inspired book. We looked at last week. It's an instructional book. It's invaluable. There is there's great value in it. And as I mentioned, it is vital to uh, a successful Christian life. It's impossible to live a healthy, victorious Christian life without the Word of God. I believe it's impossible to have a healthy, victorious life without a New Testament church where it is taught. That's God's plan. You know, anytime, anytime somebody was seeking God in the Bible, you know what God sent? A man. Cornelius was a man who believed in God. He was praying to God. He got answers from God. Do you know what the answer was? Send to Joppa for a man named Peter. Who shall tell thee what thou needst to know? And, and, of course, Peter instructed him. So, you know, these are things that we need. Of course, that's what the, that's what the Bible instructs us, that the, the, the church is given for our instruction, gives us pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So these things are vitally important. In fact, in Second Peter chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, in Second Peter 1, in verses 3 through 11, the Bible says there, According as his divine power, speaking about the power of Christ, hath given us unto, unto us, that's, so he's given it to us, all things that pertain unto life. So everything that, you know, people say, is the Bible relevant for today? Well, yeah, it is. The problem isn't with the Bible. You know, well, does it address transgenderism and does it address homosexuality and does it address all these social ills? Yeah, it does. You know, the, 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 the welfare problem is easily addressed. If any man does not work, neither should he eat. I mean, it's very simple. Uh, the transgender problem, yeah, God made them male and female. And it's unnatural to be anything otherwise. It's unnatural. Uh, and I said, you know, I was talking to somebody here some time ago about, about uh, homosexuality and, you know, in the Bible, what the Bible speaks about it. And I said, you know, it really, the reality is animals don't. It's unnatural. Not even animals don't do that. And he said, I never heard it put that way, but that is true. It is true. I mean, it, the, really, the, the, the social ills of today are really quite simple if we just heed the instruction of the Bible. Um, so he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Here's the problem. They don't have a knowledge of him and they don't want to exceed him. That hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, so it's given to us again, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So if you want to get away from the sin and the corruption of the world, if you want to have a, be a participant of the, na- the very nature of God, you got to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives to you a divine nature, a holy nature. And then it says, beside this, giving all diligence, so after we are saved, we add to your faith, virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that is lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, 
hath forgotten that he was purged from all sins, from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. In other words, you need to be diligent. If you're not diligent, your diligence speaks of effort. You know, Proverbs says, uh, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. And a good example of that was Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a diligent man, young man. He was very, the Bible describes him as industrious. And Solomon saw that he was a very industrious man, so he set him over the tri- his tribe as a leader of his tribe. And, 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 of course, then it was Jeroboam later became the king of the, the uh, divided, the ten divided tribes after the division. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it takes diligence. And uh, so we need, and we need not be negligent, uh, negligent uh, to, to be diligent to add to our faith. So we're given great precious promises through which we can overcome the corruptions in the world, the corruption of self, and we have these promises to encourage us. And, you know, he says to add to these things that we might be abundantly furnished. That speaks of plenty, an overabundance, but, and be fruitful. Uh, you know, lacking means the person's blind, they're forgetful, they're uncertain. Uh, so so we, can't, we cannot be a strong Christian without the Bible, the Word of God, and without His church to teach us and instruct us. That's God's plan. So we need to stay in the book. So as we can move on here, uh, one, no, uh, this is really the second point of all that from last week. We need to learn to trust the Lord. Proverbs verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, the word trust means to believe or to place your confidence in, uh, to commit oneself to. You know, again, Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and, of course, his example to us. And it says in 1 Peter 2, 23, who, speaking of Christ, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So he committed himself into the hand and care of God. He, you know, Though he was delivered into the hand of the Romans to be crucified, it being God's will for him to be crucified and put to death, he committed himself or he trusted in God in that, believing that God the Father would raise him from the dead. So he committed himself. Uh, that's the, what the word trust really means. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 19, talking about suffering and when we suffer, it says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So, you know, when, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're to commit yourself to the, to the Father and let Him take care of it. Let Him intervene. Let Him, because He is a faithful creator. So we need to, we need to, to commit our care uh, uh, to Him and, and rely upon Him. You know, we can, have, we can trust in Him to take care of us. Uh, you know, when you go to the bank, 
if you want to borrow money for something, one of the things that the banks always do is they look up your credit score. Now, what are they looking for? Well, they're looking for some reliability that you make payments on time. And, and so they, you know, they may give loans, ba- they'll give loans based on your credit score and then, you know, if you have uh, some collateral or whatever, uh, you know, it depends on what you're buying. But, but you know, the, 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 so they're going to, so that really it's, it's kind of your reputation or your character and paying uh, your, your bills that gives you this credit score. And so they're looking for something that they can rely on as evidence that you are a reliable person to pay your bills. You know, we need to trust in the Lord. You know, if, they, if we were to take his credit score, what would it be? And we can rely on him. You know, we can either look at what the world is and what the world is doing and what the world does or tries to do to us or... And, and be concerned about that, or we can look at God and his promises and trust in him. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they looked at what was in the land of Canaan, giants and walled cities. They looked at all that. They saw it all. But they also, they, they, they looked at what God said. Not only what God said, but what God did. And... You know, trust is not just a blind leap in the dark hoping you're going to come up lucky when you're trusting in the Lord. It's not a blind leap in the dark. We have much evidence that God is trustworthy, that he can be relied upon, that he can be relied upon. Uh, you know, as we can, we, you can consider the, the person of God, who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. You know, he'll always do what is right. He is truth. He never, he never, he cannot lie. Uh, he won't tell you something that he won't, uh, that he won't keep. A promise, he won't give you a promise that he will not keep. Uh, we can look at God's works of, to illustrate that, that, uh, of what, what he can, what he will do. Uh, you know, if, if a guy showed up here at church, which has happened many times in the past, and wants gas money, would you likely give it to him? Would you, if he said, well, could I borrow $20? Gabby, could I borrow $20? I need some gas in my, my, my pickup truck to, to, you know, and, and my mother's in the hospital and I need to go see her. And, and, you know, he has this wonderful story about, you know, how bad he is. And, and he just needs $20. And, and next Sunday I'll come and pay you back. And you don't even know who he is. Would you give it to him? Do you think? That somebody just shows up here at church, usually after, right after the service, and, and you know, and asking for money, you, you think you're going to get paid back? Now, if I came to you after the service and said, Abby, I forgot my wallet tonight, and I was planning to get gas on the way home, could you give me $20? Would you give it to me? Probably not. But, you know, uh, you, know you are more likely, because you know me, than give it to, you see, if the more we know about God, the more likely we are to trust Him, to rely on Him. That's why it says, my son, forget not my law. Keep my commandments. Don't forsake 
my truth. Bind them about thy neck. Because really the word of God tells, to, tells us about the person of God and who he is. And the more time we spend in the word of God, we're gonna, the more we're going to come to understand that God can be relied on. That, that our faith is not just a blind leap in the dark. You know, We may not, not know what the future holds, but we know that God will be there. And that God has said such and such in his word. And he can be relied on. You know, Jesus used this when he was speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 5. Turn over there to John chapter 5 for just a minute. John chapter 5. And, and Jesus, you know, appealing to the Pharisees, you know, he, he, he tried over and over and over again to get the Pharisees to see that he was the Son of God, that they needed to trust him, they needed to believe in him, and he gave them witness after witness after witness. John 5, verse 30, he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. So, so if I'm the only testimony of me you have, you don't need to believe it. You know, the scripture says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Okay? So he says, that, you know, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And so he starts listening to the witnesses to, his test, to who he was. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I see not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye, ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing to, for a season to rejoice in his light. They, they rejoiced for a while in, in John's testimony and his preaching. And, but he said, I don't, I don't just receive a testimony from man. Verse 36, I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Think about it. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, uh, raised the dead, and calmed the seas, and fed 5,000, fed 4,000 with, you know, uh, 4, with five loaves and two fishes. Do you need more testimony? Do you need more witnesses? He says, the works that I do. You know, you know some, some said, you know, never been done in this fashion before. In other words, there's never been, never been anybody before that raised the dead. There's never been anybody before that could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. There's something different about this guy. So the works. And then in verse 37, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. So the Father, three times, at his baptism, uh, at, of course, up in the Mount of Transfiguration, and then I'm trying to remember the other time, the, there was a voice from heaven came, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Some thought it thundered the one time. Uh, you know, that voice came with, at his baptism, and John baptized him. So, so the Father bore witness to him. And then verse 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What did Moses tell the children of Israel? A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up like unto me. Him shall ye hear. And of course he is speaking of Christ. And of course all the prophets 
All those prophets spoke of Christ. Isaiah spoke of Christ in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 9:6, Isaiah 7:14. You know, throughout the whole book, they all all the prophets spoke of Christ. So, so you know, there's ample testimony that we can rely on who God says He is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, His person, and His works. So, but so we need to trust. We are commanded. We are commanded to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, that requires a decision. You have to decide that you're either going to trust God or you're going to trust your own things, your own way, your own understanding. Who's it going to be? Uh, you know, it, you know, it comes down to will you believe God or not? Will you believe God or not? And, you know, John tells us in, in uh, 1 John 5, He that believeth not the record that God hath given of his Son maketh him a liar. If you don't believe what God says about his Son, you're really saying, God, you're lying. The sin of unbelief is very offensive to God. And so it requires a decision. We have to decide we're going to believe God. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, uh, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, we have to believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, Daniel made a decision. He believed God. He purposed his heart. He would not defile himself. What was he doing? He determined, he made a decision, I am going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. In fact, turn over there. Daniel chapter 3. And, and uh, you know, as they're standing before the fiery furnace, you know, I'm sure they had time to consider what they were going to do. But, you know, they, they chose to believe God. They made a decision. And in Daniel 3 and verse 28, the Bible says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who ascended his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. They trusted in him, and they yielded their bodies. When you trust in the Lord, you're going to yield your body. Comes along with it. See, an action always follows true belief. These guys believed God. They trusted Him. They committed themselves to Him. Therefore, they yielded their bodies. Really, like a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says Living sacrifices. So they yielded. You know, a belief's evidence is a yielded body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You prove God's will in your life by yielding your body. See, it requires a decision. Requires a decision. 
Second thing, it's, it, renounce, it requires we renounce self. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. It requires that we don't trust self. You know, the natural thing for Daniel to do would have said, you know, surely God would understand if I just, you know, I won't make a pig of myself out of this king's meat and the wine which you're offering, but I'll just eat enough just to keep me alive. Because surely God wants me to live. I mean, that's the only food that was being offered or was commanded for them to eat, I might say. It wasn't really a choice. This is what's set before you. No, Daniel, his trust was so strong that he, he stood and asked, he asked for an alternative. And it was an alternative. It, it was a, it was a, it was a, a decision that risked his life. The decision of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, again, they risked their lives. They had to renounce. You know, they could, you know, I'm, you know, they, they were heating this furnace up and, and they were, you know, you know, striking up the band. The, the Babylonian beboppers were going at it, you know, and when the music was stopped, they were supposed to all bow. They had time to think about it. They had to deny what self wanted to do. Do you think they weren't tempted? See, unless, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the written Bible from Genesis to Revelation that we have that tells of all the wondrous works that God has done and, and, and you know, and his promises. And they, they just had portions, and yet they believed him. They were willing to take that risk. There was no guarantee that God was going to intervene. They didn't know that. Well, they did. But that intervention might mean death and go to be with the Lord. Sometimes, well, that's what happened to Stephen. You know, we don't always know that it's going to come out the way we think it's going to come out or hope it's going to come out. But God will deliver his own. And so they, it requires a denial of ourselves. You know, Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. He says, have no confidence in the flesh. Don't have any confidence in the flesh. Hey, if anybody has, has reason to brag about the flesh, I do. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and so on and so forth. You know, but he said, he said that I count it all but done. For the excellence, excellency of Christ Jesus, my, my Lord. You know, Proverbs, or not Proverbs, Romans 13, 14 says that we're not to uh, make no provision for the flesh. So we have to be proactive in not providing opportunities for the flesh to satisfy itself. We have to be on guard. And so there needs to be a renouncing of self. There's a devotion here that's demanded. In verse 6 he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Kind of reminds me of the verse that says in First Thessalonians five eighteen: "In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus." So in all thy ways, so in everything that you're doing, all your ways, acknowledge God. 
He's to be the preeminent part of everything in life. We should submit ourselves to Him in everything, uh, even when we don't have it all figured out. There's a lot of times we don't have it all figured out. We may have plans. We may have plans. Uh, there's direction that follows. Notice verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. So if you acknowledge Him in everything, if you give Him, if you give Him the opportunity to guide and direct you in everything, He will direct your path. That's the idea here. He'll give you directions. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5, is kind of a parallel passage to this. Uh, says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto him, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. In other words, if you delight in him, that's the key, you delight in him. In other words, you're delighting to do the will of God. Not your own will, but your delight is in the Lord, so he's the preeminent one in your life. So you're committing your, your way unto him, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, because if you're delighting in him, you'll want what he wants. You'll desire what he desires. Verse 23 of that passage says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. So he delights in the way of the Lord. So there's a direction here that follows. Uh, let's, let's illustrate this. Go to Acts 27. Acts 27. I'm going to look at several of these. Acts chapter 27 and verse 25 and 26. <clears throat> Paul is on his way to Rome. He's in the middle of a ship, a storm. They're afraid of losing the ship. And, but the Lord appears to him. Verse 23, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now, it didn't look like they were going to make it. However, this is what Paul says to all those people. Now again, think about this. You have a, a captain and these sailors who are commercial sailors, their experience in sailing. They're familiar with storms. Of course, Paul's had some experience in this kind of thing too. And here's this from what history tells us, ugly little preacher who stands up and now is telling us what God said. And this is what he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So, you know, God gave this message to Paul, and he tells us, look, be of good cheer, there's not going to be a loss of any man's life but the ship. Now that's kind of strange too. That you're going to lose a ship, but not a man. Not a person's going to die, even though the ship is going to be crashed. And, and so Paul said, I believe God. 
That's a decision. He made a decision to believe God. And his devotion was, you know, again, it shall be even as it was told me. And so that's devotion. And he was, he was certain it was going to happen just like God said. And, and he said, how be it, here's the direction, we must be cast upon a certain island. So he was given, you know, he believed, and he, he was certain it was going to happen. He was convinced of it. He, he voiced it, and, he, and, he gave the, and God gave the direction. You're going to be cast upon a certain island. Um, go to Numbers chapter 11, or chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. In verse 30, of course, this is the account where the 12 spies come back. You know, the 10 were bad and the 2 were good. Joshua and Caleb gave a good report. The 10 gave an evil report. You know, we say it's an evil report. They told the truth about the land. They really did. There's giants. There's walled cities. What they didn't encourage the people in is the promise of God. They, they said God's not able. And so Caleb and Joshua says in verse 30, Caleb stilled the people before Moses said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And of course, you know, Caleb was relying on the word of the living God. Not on his own strength. He knew there was giants in there. He knew there was walled cities. He knew the reality of the difficulty taking this place. But he said, God said he's going to give us this land. Let's go get it. Let's go get it. That was a decision. And he was, he stuck with it. He and Joshua, chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. God will give us, you know, only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defenses depart from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. Now, evidently, you know, I believe that Joshua and Caleb were of the, of the mindset or had the ability to sense what the people thought about Israel. Because they say here that their defense is departed and the Lord is with us. He said, don't fear the people. Their defense is departed. Now, when they sent in the two spies into Jericho, what did we find out? That all the people did faint because of them. I mean, Rahab said, when we heard about what God did to the Egyptians 40 years ago, our hearts did melt. In other words, that's the same idea here as Caleb saying, their defense is departed. You know, they, their, their morale has been destroyed. They're living in fear of us. Let's go get them. They were devoted. And they were given direction. Go to Joshua chapter 3. 
Joshua chapter 3. However, we're talking 40 years later. 40 years later, they're given directions. Chapter 3, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from the team and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. It came to pass after three days, the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. And he gives the instructions of how they're to conquer Jericho. Go to chapter, or no, how they're cross Jordan. Cross Jordan. But go to chapter 5. Verse 13, they've crossed Jordan just like God had directed them. And now they're encamped against Jericho. It's all shut up. The gates are all shut. You know, they have, it's a very strong, fortified, walled city. And, you know, uh, verse 13, I think Joshua's out looking around. And he's scouting and he's scratching his head. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to take this city? How are we going to get in? Verse 13 says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host, that word Lord's, all caps, this is Jehovah. It's Jesus, a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of hosts. Said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel, and none came out, went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I give it into thine hand, Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And then he gives the instructions of how they're to walk around the city once for six days, and then the seventh day walk around that city seven times, and on the seventh time blow with those trumpets and shout loud, and the walls will fall down flat, and you can go right in. Now, this is the directions they were given to take the land, to begin taking the land. This is 40 years after Joshua and Caleb made a decision and devoted their lives to trusting that God to direct them in that decision. They never forsook it. But there's another, another thought here. You know, sometimes we worry about what's in the future. God didn't tell them how to cross Jordan until they got to Jordan. God didn't tell them how to conquer Jericho till they got to Jericho. You know, God isn't going to tell you who you need to marry until you need to get married. Forty years later, they were given the directions how to take the land. And it continued on. And so, you know, God gives direction. When we are devoted. So there's 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 a decision, there's devotion, there's direction. And we see this, you know, in the, we can see this in the life of Moses in Hebrews 11 as well. So there there needs to be 
this decision, devotion. Uh, and then we need to learn, third, we need to learn to fear God. Learn to fear God. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Uh, verse 7 tells us. We need to fear the Lord. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, we're not to be wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It shall be health to thy marrow and, and health to thy navel, I'm sorry, and marrow to thy bones. As we think about fearing the Lord, it means to reverence him as an avenger of wrongs, but also as a rewarder of those that do right. You know, there's, there's, there's two, two sides to this. You know, we often think of God of that judge who's going to judge us if we do wrong. That is true. But he's also the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, a wise man will hear and increase learning. Yes, it is important we listen to God. So as we think about fearing God, it's, it's not that God wants us to be afraid of Him. He wants us to fear the consequences of sinning against Him. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. There's an, uh, Exodus 20 and verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. Now he tells them to fear not, and then he tells them to, that you may fear. Is that the contradiction? No. You know, think about it, if you have a parent that loves you. You know that parent loves you, but you also are fearful of disobeying that parent. It's the same is true of God. God loves us with an everlasting love. But he, you know, it is... Healthy for us to fear him. To fear him, that we might keep his commandments, that we sin not. You know, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And so we need to learn to have a healthy fear of God. You know, we have a we live in a world that thinks God's just you know, he's just a man upstairs and he's just my co pilot and he's just my best buddy and you know, kind of thing. He's the jolly Santa Claus up there that loves you when you're good and he'll forget about it when you're bad and you know, kind of thing. No, God isn't like that. Psalm eighty nine says, Who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. You know, it's a dangerous thing to mock God. Very dangerous. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. 
How long, you simple ones? Simple means kind of ignorant, not knowing, kind of foolish. We love simplicity, and the scorner, now a scorner is a mocker. He's just outright. And scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make known my words. So God's reaching out. But he says, because I have called, and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. You have said it not all my counsel with none of my proof. I also will laugh at your calamities, and I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh, as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, distress and anguish cometh upon you. And you go to Revelation chapter 6, and those last two, one or two verses in Revelation 6 talks about them crying, hiding in the mountains and the caves and the rocks from the wrath of him that setteth on the throne. And yet, yet it says, yet they repented not. Of their works. Oh, they're fearful. They're crying out in anguish in God's. You mock me. Now I'm going to mock you. You know, one one passage in there talks about how they, you know, God turned turned the rivers and the waters and things to blood, and there was a lot of bloodshed. And He said, "You you spread the blood of the saints." It's like you want blood. I'll give you some blood. You know, we reap what we sow. God wants us to fear Him, fear His judgment, fear His chastening hand, because it's for our good. Do you ever have your parents say, I'm doing this for you? And you're thinking, yeah, right. And when you hit about 22, 25, you realize they did do it for you. If you got some sense. They did do it for you. Uh, you know, God, again, God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants us to be afraid to transgress his commandments. To, to be afraid of his chastening. To be afraid of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. And I understand the world out there doesn't understand that. That's why they have the terrible twos. Because they have these psychologists telling us that you shouldn't ever lay a hand on your child till they're at least two years old. That's why they're little brats. No. The Bible says they go estranged from the womb speaking lies. Now, you don't have to take a heavy paddle to them at two years old, but they need some correction. Long before that. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other subject. But, no, we need to fear God. We need to have a healthy fear. Look at, look at uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 26. Not Proverbs. Hebrews 11. I'm sorry. Hebrews 11 and verse 26. <clears throat> I am about finished. Hebrews 11, 26 says this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. This is speaking of Moses. He had respect or reverence for the recompense, that word recompense means to make compensation for or to repay. And it's used in the Bible both negative and positive. In fact, in Hebrews 2.2, 2, it's used in a negative sense. 
where it says, For the word spoken by angels is steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now, if you have disobeyed God's word, there's a just recompense. You're going you're gonna to suffer the consequences thereof. Uh, but in Hebrews 10, 35, it's used in a positive sense. It says, Cast not away, for, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. So we're talking about God rewarding you for your faithfulness. He's going he's gonna to repay you. Uh, he's going to make compensation. And this is what it says here of Moses. See, it's, it's God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He, he, he will recompense. And Moses understood, though he suffered in the world, though it cost him forsake Egypt, he understood that God was the one who would compensate him for his sacrifice. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose what he cannot lose so so we need to fear God we need to honor him that word honor means to obey with a happy spirit you know if you serve God begrudgingly there's no reward there's no reward so it's a bad attitude. So really, in your heart, you're not serving God. If you give your tithes and offerings and you say, Oh, I have to give this again because I promised God I would. You might as well forget it. There'll be no reward for that. No. It ought to be doing it out of a willing and a happy heart. Honor your parents means you obey with a happy spirit. A right attitude. Because to, to, you can obey them, but if you do it begrudgingly, really in your heart you haven't obeyed them. And God looks at the heart. So he says, honor God, honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thy increase. If you honor him, it's not just doing what he commands begrudgingly, but doing it willingly, so shall thy barns be full with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The idea here is God will supply your needs. Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we know that the Macedonian churches gave willingly of themselves. They gave themselves first unto the Lord. In other words, their gifts, though it was great sacrifice, was willingly gave. They begged Paul to take it. They wanted to give it, though it cost them. So we're to honor him. And of course, then lastly, we need to appreciate, learn to appreciate his his correction, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Who the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. We're not to despise. We're not to, to, to cast off or tread down or condemn the correction of the Lord. You know, sometimes we can be stubborn. Nah, not you, not me. You know, Paul was stubborn. The Lord asked him, how long are you going to kick against the bricks? Isn't it hard, hard for you to kick against the bricks? Isn't it kind of hard going, Paul, or Saul? He was under conviction. He wasn't a happy man. He was a hateful person until he met the Lord. 
on the road to Damascus and surrendered to him. You see, and then the Lord allowed him to have an affliction, a thorn in the flesh. What for? To keep him relying on the Lord, lest he be puffed up. You know, if Paul wouldn't have had an affliction, and they believe, you know, historians say that he was ugly to look at. You know, the Corinthians talked about how his, his, his presence was weak, bodily presence was weak, and his speech contemptible. In other words, it wasn't, he wasn't a great speaker. So there was nothing really physically in, in, uh, attractive about him, or he wasn't a great pulpiteer, you know, or anything with great charisma and that kind of thing. And, if, if, and that affliction, I believe that, that affliction was his eyes that, that kind of caused some of that, the, the, the sight problem. They said he was ugly to look at. God allowed that affliction. Because what do you think would have the tendency to be to do of a man like Paul? Just like the same reason I believe God buried Moses. And we don't know to this day where his tomb is. Because the children of Israel probably would have made a shrine out of it. The Catholic Church has made shrines out of Peter and Paul, you know. That's the tendency of man. So God allowed affliction, lest he'd be puffed up beyond measure. You know, some God, sometimes God allows afflictions in our lives to get our attention, to correct our ways, to cause us to rely on him. Be not weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Oh, we need to stay in the book. This book is invaluable. There's nothing greater or more important in your life as a Christian than the Word of God. And we need to spend time in it. Make it a priority every day of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time you were tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us. And thank you for the uh, prophet there is and the benefit that is ours through reading and studying it uh, listen to it being preached and taught and I pray that you help us to uh, keep your commandments to guard our life to fear you to honor you and to trust in your promises and we'll, we'll thank you and praise you we do pray in Jesus name amen